I have to start off and say I'm honored to pl play the role of Dale Fredrickson. Yeah. It's very, very much of an honor. Um, the other thing that occurred to me in my preparations was that I'm teaching on Psalm 23 on August 23rd, which I thought was kind of cool. It's like a golden birthday or something, right? So anyway, please pray with me. Dear God, thank you for another opportunity to gather in this safe and sacred space. Thank you for all of the hearts and hands that are often pouring energy into the ongoing work that is Wildflower. Give us ears to hear your living word to us today. And as we turn our attention back to Psalm 23, we ask for transformative peace that creates in our hearts places like green pastures and still waters, if only for the next little bit as we worship you. Amen. So I wasn't here for the first couple weeks of the Psalm 23 journey, but I did make it in last Sunday to hear Andy Dunning. I must admit I was a bit overwhelmed at the prospect of following someone with the letters of MDiv and PhD after his name, especially after his background information on ancient Babylonian creation stories, which I would have found quite helpful and interesting had I not been sitting there thinking, and what do I have to bring to the table next week? Not to mention the fact that um, Stephen Garber is in the main sanctuary, so a little bit overwhelming. But anyway, um, after I stepped back and continued preparing, I was reminded why I'm here. I am here because, like Andy, I have been asked to speak from my experience. Unlike Andy, I am very early on in my theological education, so you won't be too impressed by my degrees. Unfortunately, though, I do speak from a place of expertise when it comes to verse 4 of Psalm 23. I am more familiar with the valley of the shadow of death than most people I encounter, and certainly more so than I would ever have chosen or imagined. I have a hunch that is why Dale chose me for this particular task. More on that in a bit. Before we dive too quickly into today's text, I thought it might be good to step back and be reminded of a few things about the Psalms in general. Those of you who have heard me speak before will likely remember that I often share the ideas of Walter Brueggemann, most widely known and for me, deeply loved of all Hebrew Bible scholars. And some of you may remember my referring to Dr. Brueggemann's model of orientation, disorientation, and new or reorientation. His way of talking about cycles in our lives of being rooted or grounded, orientation, being pulled away for any of a variety of reasons from that grounding, disorientation, and then eventually and hopefully finding a new orientation. Dr. Brueggemann suggests that this is one way we can categorize the Psalms as well. Psalms of orientation would include those that reflect a confident, serene settlement of faith issues. A good place for any of us to start, I would argue. According to Brueggemann, these particular psalms give expression to that happy settlement, to the reality that God is trustworthy and reliable, and to the decision to stake life on this particular God. These psalms work well for certain people in certain times, but they likely do not ring true when we start to feel unsettled, much less when our worlds are falling apart. Psalms spoken from places of disappointment, confusion, hurt and anguish, fall into Brueggemann's category of disorientation. These are the psalms frequently left out of the lectionary, the ones many of us choose not to read aloud with our families or to say in unison in worship or on the street corner 
because they are deep and profound expressions of pain. The writers of these psalms did not hold back about what they were experiencing, and especially in a culture like ours that often does anything possible to deny and numb, these words often make us very uncomfortable. And popping another Advil is not going to put a damper on this kind of pain. Another grouping of the psalms is one into new orientation. Psalms of new orientation include those where the speaker and the community of faith are surprised by grace, where there emerges in present life a new possibility that is inexplicable. Brueggemann rightly points out that Israel refuses to speculate. In its typical way, he says, it just tells, narrates, recites, and testifies in amazement and gratitude. It is here that Brueggemann places Psalm 23. Dale asked me to focus on verse 4 of this psalm, which reads in the most familiar translation, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I've looked at many translations of this passage only to find that there is no way around the death piece of it. Some may call it the valley of deepest darkness, but if that darkness is deeper than death, it must be similarly horrific. Up to this point in the psalm, in the midst of the green pastures and still waters and restoration of souls, God is spoken of in the third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He leads me. Verse 4 is the first time in this poem that the psalmist addresses God directly. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Let's just make sure we have that right. Why will the speaker feel no, fear no evil? As Rabbi Harold Kushner points out, the psalmist does not say, I will fear no evil, for there is no evil to be feared. Unless one lives with her head in a hole, she knows there's evil out there. It is all around us, and in this poem, it is as near as a verse away where the enemies show up at the table. The psalmist also does not say, I will fear no evil because I am a good person who does things right and prays for protection and lives well. We all know it doesn't work that way either. The reason he just says no to fear has to do with his company, a God he knows well and addresses directly when threat enters the scene. I have spent much time on this over the past few weeks, and here's what I think, at least today. The valley of the shadow of death instigates, causes, and even demands something new of the relationship between its traveler and his or her God. In the valley of the shadow of death, this psalmist, along with many of us, addresses God. We see from the lament psalms that these addresses are often raw and real, where the speaker is not afraid to call this God out on the horrible circumstances of his or her life. Where are you? Why did you let this happen? But this is a real part of relationships. And here in verse 4 of the 23rd Psalm, we see the depth of the relationship, certainly solidified over time and experience. The speaker no longer talks about the third-person deity, but talks to this God with whom he has journeyed through some seriously difficult times. We don't have access to the lament piece here. It seems we are long past the outcry and solidly in a new place. Now, 
the speaker says with clarity that this God causes him to fear no evil. And this ability to fear no evil is directly connected with who he has experienced this God to be. The psalmist who understands something about the valley of the shadow of death also now knows about fearing no evil because he knows of the you that is with him. He has experienced the companionship, known the comfort that comes only from the God of this address. No one else can cause him to shun evil, and no one else can comfort the way this shepherd can. I did not come to realize this in the profound way that I have until my, until my own feet entered the valley of the shadow of death and my unwanted journey there began. As many of you know, I lost my husband and the father of my four children to a sudden heart attack almost six years ago at his ripe old age of 38. And three years later, as I was still navigating my way through that particular valley, I lost my oldest son to suicide. He was 14. People have great intentions, and the love my friends and family have for me is real and big and impressive. It has never been questioned. However, the presence of God is profoundly different than any other presence. And the psalmist knows this to the point where nothing can make him afraid anymore. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We come to know this you in an all-new way when he walks alongside us in these darkest valleys. Isaiah 43.2 has been my mantra for what feels like many years now. When I realized sometime after my husband's death that yes, life would never be the same, but that I would be okay, and that I would survive and maybe even blossom again somehow, I was able to speak these words with confidence. They read, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. It seems as if our psalmist is responding back to these assurances. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I passed through the waters, and it was rough, and at times my lungs filled with water, and that one time I got stuck under a rock and didn't think I'd make it back up, but I did. I didn't drown. You were with me. I walked through the fire, and it was so hot, and it hurt, and I never thought I'd be cool again, but I wasn't burned. You were with me. You were true to your word. And so now, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and you are with me. This psalm is often spoken of as a psalm of confidence, and that seems quite appropriate. These words don't suppose or waver or hesitate, even a bit. I've given some thought to what makes a person confident. Being a mother, I have found that confidence is often a built-in character trait there from the beginning, amazingly stable and solid. However, I'm also quite aware that sometimes, and I think more often, confidence is built over time and experience. What I love is that either model works well for Psalm 23. Maybe you're like me, and you've experienced or are experiencing the valley of the shadow of death, and your confidence in the God that has accompanied you along the way 
comes from his steadfastness through the worst of times. Or maybe you have a built-in confidence that, has never, that hasn't been tested, at least not to the same degree. But somehow, you are able to pray this psalm with the conviction that it is and will be true for you, no matter what. And I would encourage you to go with that. Because as, as I have been reminded, it really is possible to speak something into existence. My brother often talks about claiming something to be true. Speak it, claim it, demand it. Some translators who know much more about the technical aspects of Hebrew than I do categorize the verb here into the imperfect conditional, which would translate, if I walk through a valley of deep darkness, I will fear no evil. In either case, if you've walked it or you're walking it, or you're aware of the fact that you may one day walk it, speak your lack of fear into existence. It is powerful stuff. My kids and I listen to a lot of popular music, and, my soon -to, -be 15 year and to my soon-to-be 15-year-old son's chagrin, I must admit to liking a couple of songs by One Direction. Mom, they are a boy band. Well, whoever they are, their current hit, Night Changes, is hardly one we want to stretch too far in terms of its deep theological meaning. However, as much music does, it talks about a relationship. And in my strange, reflective moments in the car, going to and from swimming and ballet and lacrosse, I have found myself resonating with it in terms of precisely the relationship we are talking about here in Psalm 23, verse 4. The refrain says, Everything that you've ever dreamed of disappearing when you wake up, but there's nothing to be afraid of, even when the night changes. It will never change me and you. I'm guessing One Direction probably wasn't talking about God. However, <laughs> this is what the psalmist and I have experienced to be true. Even when the night changes, even when the day changes, even when the plan changes or your life changes, there's nothing to be afraid of because it cannot and will not change me and you. It is the vitality of the relationship that transforms, says Brueggemann. The power, the life-giving spirit or energy which transforms us somewhere in the valley and cements our confidence in this steadfast God and allows us to speak some of the boldest words in existence. I will fear no evil for you are with me. Amen.